Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone, and is a project of EEI, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Viator, Vice President of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Welcome, everybody. I have the great pleasure of being joined today by Ed Hears, a distinguished professor of economics at the University of Houston, and he'll be guiding us through this conversation today. We'll have a long-form discussion about what happened in Texas on the weekend of February 15th, 2021. Ed Hears was recently the subject of a feature in the famed Texas publication, Texas Monthly, as the man who predicted this blackout disaster would happen. Ed, I feel like that was a bad paraphrase of your prediction, but that's how I think of you as the guy who really saw a lot of things coming. Do you want to introduce yourself briefly and then I'll dive into a couple questions? Happy to, Brad. I began studying energy economics in the 70s. We had some serious issues with oil supply, prices, a gasoline line. And I was uh, fortunate enough to attend Yale and I was able to study with a number of professors who had been advisors to Democratic and Republican administrations. And this began not necessarily the full professional career interest I had, but an abiding interest in energy markets. I've taught econometrics, corporate finance, micro, macro, trade, and for the last dozen years or so have taught graduate and undergraduate energy economics at the University of Houston. I run a conference at Yale. We founded this and put it together about 15 years ago, have written a few papers, and I try to make a living in energy because I've lived in Houston since the early 80s and have experienced the ups and downs and the whipsaws of the markets. And so I've spent a lot of time looking at the markets, trying to determine what direction we see these going and trying to determine, you know, for goodness sake, how are we going to make money in them? Before we dig into the situation that occurred that fateful February 15th, can you explain to us how the Texas energy market works, or maybe better, how the Texas energy market is supposed to work, and how it's different from other regional transmission organizations or independent system operators around the country? Sure. So ERCOT, which is the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, manages the electricity grid for 90% of Texas. We have an inroad made by MISO on the east, and then we're tied into the western interconnect with El Paso on the west. The Texas market is distinguished because it's electricity only in the generating side. If we do a compare and contrast, in the old days, all markets were vertically regulated. All the utilities were vertically integrated. In Texas, they broke apart those segments. So we have the generation segment transmission segment, the local distribution company, and then we have uh, resellers. The generation fleet of Texas operates with an electricity-only fashion. There's no capacity market. And so, for example, in Texas, peak electricity demand is about 75 gigawatts on a hot summer day. But on average, across the state, the rest of the time, only about 45 gigawatts is used. And of course, there's an ebb and flow through the day. But this tells you that on average, throughout the rest of the year, about 30 gigawatts is on the bench. So if we look at this in terms of a baseball team, for example, let's take the Dodgers. They won the World Series. 
if the Dodgers were compensated on an electricity-only basis, only those nine guys taking the field tonight would get paid. The fellows on the bench would not get paid. Eventually, some of them would begin to go hungry. So in Texas, it's a, a pernicious market setup with ERCOT making the generators bid in each day or the day ahead and then real time to provide electricity. Over time, this leads to a lack of incentive for the generators to actually reinvest or to invest in new equipment. And so what we pointed out in our piece in 2013 was that this market would eventually fail for lack of reinvestment. The lack of shadow price for capital was going to be the downfall. Over the last decade, it's easily shown that the average price in the wholesale market is less than the average total cost of providing generation. That tells you that, well, on average, the generation fleet is not paying for itself. So if we start to apply just simple microeconomic and logic common sense, why would you build new generation equipment into the ERCOT market if you're not going to be able to make a return on capital, if you're not going to be able to pay back your bank loan or your shareholders? And so over time, we've seen a lot of generation leave Texas, and eventually it was going to get to a point where the grid failed. And so that, that's how we got there. Uh, yeah, we pretty much anticipated it would occur during a a summer heat wave. But we, we saw also in 2011 with a polar vortex that the grid failed in February, almost 20 years to the date of the failure this year. And the, and the reason, of course, is that without a capacity market, without generators actually earning money when they're on the bench, there's no incentive for the generation fleet to winterize. There's no incentive for the generation fleet to, if you, you think about it in terms of your car, you know, change the oil, make sure there's air in the tires. Why? Well, you're not going to use the beach buggy during the middle of the winter. But long came February 14, 15, and 16, and we needed everything. And not many were able to answer the call. We wound up approximately 40% short on our needed generation capacity. Texas does not really have a connection to the Eastern Interconnect or the Western. You know, they're, they're one or two gigawatts here and one or two gigawatts there. But when you're short all 35, 39 gigawatts, there's no place to look. That's what happened in the state. And you were talking about how you were 40% short generation. And a lot of people have talked about the causes of that. Uh, that's where the discussion about winterization comes into play. That's where the discussion about some of the intermittent resources, particularly wind in the western part of the state, comes into play. I think there was a nuke that went offline. I wonder if it's possible to narrow the cause down, other than just saying it was a comedy of errors that caused generation to be short. Is there one cause that seems to be a bigger part of the problem than the others? I think the primary cause is the lack of a return on investment for the generation fleet. The manifestations are that the generators failed, that their supply chain failed, that they hadn't maintained the equipment in a way or planned for a severe winter event. They did not undertake the investment required to meet the recommendations made following the 2011 event. There were hearings in the legislature, numerous recommendations made, a, a massive 300 plus 
page study with recommendations made by the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, and these were not followed. The legislature and Governor Rick Perry at the time ignored the grid, thinking this was not going to be an issue. And they really didn't want to impose what they thought would be government intervention in a free market. (laughs) You know, these guys have been sold a bill of goods. Under no construction can anybody say the ERCOT market is not a well-regulated market. It's very poorly regulated, but it is completely regulated. If I were to say that is unregulated in terms of speed limit. Let's just take the speed limit signs off. You could go, what, 150 miles an hour if you had the appropriate car, right, on I-95. That would last maybe a quarter of a mile till you hit a pothole. Deregulation in terms of making generation companies compete in, in a cannibalistic manner to get into the market is really not a free market outcome. And so the folks in Austin have been following this free market mantra and laissez-faire. You talked a little bit before about how the ERCOT market is different than uh, the rest of the organized markets around the country in that it doesn't have a capacity market. It's this energy-only market. There's not a default service option, so it's it's certainly different. And I think a lot of advocates around the country consider the Texas model to be the crown jewel of deregulation, the greatest example of markets working. I know you have a different view on that uh, topic. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'll just point out some of the facts. About six or seven years ago, the Arizona Public Service Commission called me and asked for uh, a telephone number so that they could introduce me to the press because they were about to announce that they were going to uh, adopt the Texas model for Arizona. And they wanted somebody who could speak to the great success of the deregulated market in Texas. And I explained to the staffer that I'd be delighted to, and if they had a moment, I'd explain what I would say. Uh, And so 45 minutes later, I was thanked. The staffer hung up. The next day, they postponed the announcement for two weeks. Two weeks came along, and then they announced that they weren't going to follow the Texas model. They were going to stay in their current regulated form. And it's really just a simple matter of looking at the data for the Texas market. Uh, For several years, we've been pointing out that Texans in the ERCOT market have been paying more money than they would have if they'd stayed in a completely regulated system where a vertically integrated utility earns a rate of return on the capital base. Um, Sure, there are going to be power plants that are built that are only operated one month out of the year, but they're available the rest of the time. And during the prior 50 years that Texas pursued that framework, There really weren't system-wide problems such as we have had in 2011 and and now in 2021. The data show that Texans have paid $18 billion more over the last half a dozen years for this this so-called deregulated market. That got us to February 14th, February 15th. And you paid $18 billion more than you would have, but you have a market that's broken and and comes up 40% short. Then you have a, a price increase from an average of of 3.5 cents a kilowatt hour on the wholesale side to $9 a kilowatt hour on the wholesale side. So increasing the price and getting only 60% of what you bargained for, this market is busted up. It's it's not working. That's why we have public utility commissions and public service commissions 
to monitor the behavior of the participants in a market. And talk to me about that $9,000 a megawatt cap that customers were charged for something like 72 hours. How does that work? And what sort of function does the price cap play in the ERCOT market? Well, ERCOT instituted the price cap a, a few years ago and eventually raised it to the $9,000 a megawatt hour cap to provide a penalty to companies that had committed to providing electricity but couldn't. And so they would have to buy electricity to replace what they could not come to market with. So kind of a negative incentive, if you will. But they also pointed out that we want the price to go up when there's a shortfall or when there's a market tightness so that we will actually give generation companies an incentive to join the market, to invest and to put new equipment in work. But it works in reverse, doesn't it? So if you think about it, if I'm going to be going into a short situation and add capacity to a market, then I'm going to make sure that the price never reaches $9,000 a megawatt hour. I'm going to actually undermine my effort to make a rate of return. If I were to add 10 gigawatts of capacity to the Texas market, I would make sure that we wouldn't get to that $9,000 a megawatt hour cap if everybody else played the way the economists thought they were going to play. All right. So what are policymakers going to do? What do they need to do? And what is the single fix or the group of fixes that can really tighten this thing up in your view? Well, first of all, we don't know everything that needs to be fixed. One of the most frightening things to come out of the legislative hearings were that the grid was four minutes away from a total wipeout. And the then CEO of ERCOT explaining that a black start, in other words, a complete restart of a de-energized ERCOT grid serving more than 26 million Texans would take months to accomplish. This tells me that something's wrong, not just with the generation fleet, but with the transmission side of the business. So I think... First of all, we've got to find a way to provide some sort of incentives for investment to rebuild the integrity of the transmission fleet and of the generation units. This, of course, requires a heavy hand from the government, and the guys in Austin really don't want to go that way. Two things I think they really need to do. One is give the Public Utility Commission some teeth, some carrots and sticks, Currently, the Public Utility Commission itself is appointed by the governor with approval by the legislature or the Senate, and there's no accountability. And certainly no one stepped up to take any responsibility. I think we need to make the PUC an elected body. We could impose upon a new Public Utility Commission the structure that we see next door in Oklahoma with the Oklahoma Corporations Commission these commissioners take an oath of office like you would in most states, and then they take a second oath saying that they will not have any economic interest in any of the entities that they regulate. That doesn't always work. One of the commissioners and and the general counsel wound up going to federal prison some years ago, but at least they answer to the voters. Second, with ERCOT, ERCOT performs two functions. ERCOT uh, manages the electrons across the grid, and, and this is like an air traffic controller, they actually have two mission control centers. The financial side 
the buying and selling of electricity needs to be separated from ERCOT. We've learned that the CEO of ERCOT bumped up the prices because he was called by generators to bump the prices up. ERCOT's board is comprised of representatives from the generation segment, the transmission segment, and consumers. There's no indication that he spoke to the consumers, the transmission companies, or that he spoke to any of the generators who were unable to come online, and so we're, we're winding up in a deficit. This system needs to be fixed, and I, I think the best way to fix it and to ensure that we can rebuild the grid is to go back to uh, rate of return regulation across the ERCOT grid. The pricing can't be this volatile. The capital can't have been allowed to deteriorate as much as it has over the last 20 years. You talked about the things that need to be done in Texas to fix this. So same topic, different question. What are the things that are going to be done? Where do you see policymakers coalescing and what solutions do you think are actually going to make it through the legislature? The bills pending in front of the legislature are essentially calling for patching the potholes on a bridge that's falling down. Rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic is another way of putting it. Some of these bills require winterization in a broad term. No one in the legislature knows what that means yet. Some of them require the utilities to spend the money. Others have suggested that the state spend this money. Obviously, unique to Texas, it's going to come out of the voters' pocket in taxes or the voters' pocket in terms of rates. When the legislature is trying to figure out how they can mask this, and, and they're really not happy with the fact that they can't mask it. They have proposed various studies, uh, regimens, none of which are anything more than just Band-Aids. Nothing addressing the fundamental flaws in the ERCOT market. They seem to be content to let the ICE futures market and the Bank of America tell them what to do. And this is a, just a real travesty. It's a lack of imagination and a lack of political integrity. Again, it's just like patching potholes on a bridge that's falling down. Since we recorded, the legislature did go ahead and pass some legislation that made some modest adjustments to the system. But there's still a lot of discussion in Texas about whether there will be a special session to really dig into this issue further. I know investigations are going to continue for years and years. So stay tuned. We'll probably have more episodes about the Texas situation going forward. We hope you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.